Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. Today on the Coffeehouse, we're going to be talking about a contemporary of George Bizet, who we talked about in our previous episode. This week, though, it's all about Jules Massenet, and then we'll take a look at his beautiful and iconic Meditation from Tyus. Massenet was born in 1842 in Montaud, France. His father was an industrious metalworker. His mother is where his first musical influence actually came from. She was a talented amateur musician and apparently did a little bit of composing along the way as well. The young Massenet picked up music from his talented mother quickly. The family moved to Paris when Massenet was five. This was lucky for him since now he was near the infamous Paris Conservatory. Last week, we had commented that Bizet had entered the conservatory just before he turned 10, as though this was a rarity. However, it seems most French composers of note during this time were similarly prodigic and also were allowed to enter at young ages. Massenet as well was just 10 when he began to attend the conservatory. In fact, they were just four years apart during their time there. As luck would have it, Massenet continued to follow in the footsteps of Bizet. When Massenet was 21 years old, he too won the prestigious Prix de Rome competition and was sent to Italy in 1863. The piece that won him the grand prize was a cantata titled David Rizzio. Recall, a cantata is basically an opera without all the stage direction and sets. However, the style is somewhat similar, and we'll see this play into Massenet's later output of works. Upon returning from Italy, Massenet was not an immediate hit with the crowds. However, he wasn't a one-trick pony. Interestingly, he supplemented his income in these early days by playing the timpani, not usually an instrument we think of the great composers playing. But soon his operas were metaphorically flying off the shelves. His melodic French style was just what people wanted. However, he wasn't exactly a revolutionary. Many of his operas, and also ballets, rode on the coattails of other great works. For example, his Cinderellion, Cinderella, was produced after Engelbert Humperdinck's Hansel and Gretel had been a smash hit. People were in the mood for fantasies with happy endings, and Massenet exploited that. He also turned to famous works of literature for inspiration as well. One of his more famous works that is still often produced today is Werther, which is based on Sorrows of Young Werther by Goethe. Massenet was a voracious reader and would apparently purchase cheap copies of his favorite books to mark inspirational passages in. He took great care to preserve the expensive editions for reading purposes only. It is here that Massenet's life and Bizet's life really differ a lot. While Bizet struggled to produce work he was proud of, let alone that the crowds couldn't get enough of, Massenet seemed to be producing hit after hit. It was because of this popularity that he was eventually invited to teach at the Paris Conservatory. 
He's also notable in that he was the youngest member of the French Academy when he was inducted in 1879, and he eventually went on to become the president of the Academy. As a teacher, Massenet was very well regarded by his students. Apparently, he was good-natured and very helpful in giving guidance and corrections to their works. The only complaint may have been the time of day lessons were given. Apparently, Massenet would wake up around 4 a.m. to start his own composing, and he expected his students to show up at 7 sharp for him to go over their assignments. At the end of his life, Massenet began to suffer from cancer of his GI tract. He was a bit more melancholy, but he still churned out the operas one after another. Most of the operas at the end of his life have been lost or have been criticized as being derivative of his earlier works. He died in 1912 and was buried near his country home in Seine-et-Marne. So now we'll talk about this iconic solo violin work, The Meditation from Tyus. Chances are you've heard this piece if you own a Top 50 Best Classical Pieces or a Classical Relaxation album. This piece is of course from the opera Tyus that Massenet wrote in 1894. The opera itself is still performed fairly regularly by major opera companies around the world. Once again, we might contrast Massenet with Bizet. In 1875, when Bizet wrote Carmen, the French public were unsure if they were comfortable with the more scandalous themes. However, as we discussed previously, after Bizet's passing, the opera was a hit, in part thanks to its vivacious writing style. The opera Tyus also features a character of questionable morals. However, Massadet doesn't seem to have any problem getting the public to love his work almost immediately. The opera itself is written in three acts. In the first act, a monk has determined that to improve the city of Alexandria, he must convert the resident courtesan, Tyus, to Christianity. So he goes to Alexandria and tries to convince her while her current lover is doubtful that she can be saved. The second act is mostly Tyus thinking about what she should do, become a nun or stick with her current life. In the end, she decides to become a nun, but to do that she must destroy all parts of her current life. In the third act, Tyus and the monk then walk through the desert, and Tyus suffers with bleeding feet. She is delivered to the convent and taken in. Three months pass, and the monk is unable to stop thinking about Tyus. He determines he must go visit her at the convent. He arrives, however, she has been so transformed in her new life that the other nuns have declared her a saint, and they all watch as she dies and ascends to heaven with the angels. The famous meditation is written as just a change of scene in the third act. It has been described as essentially being an intermezzo. Usually, these types of pieces don't get much playtime outside of full production of an opera. However, when they have particularly catchy qualities, they tend to transcend the work itself. While the original work was written for solo violin and orchestra, it has been arranged in so many ways that there are many acceptable chamber arrangements. Today, we're obviously listening to a violin and piano arrangement. One of the things that's immediately appealing about this piece is that even though it is written for violin, the melody is inherently singable. It doesn't matter if you're an actually good vocalist or not, you can still hum it out. 
Even though it seems like a complex melody with lots of leaps, it actually has a fairly small range, meaning almost anyone should be able to hit all the notes. Additionally, most of the larger leaps are just octaves. The first leap is a D to a D, later A to A, and eventually B to B. These octave leaps are easier for the brain to process, meaning the resulting pitches will be more accurate. This piece is also catchy in its hidden simplicity. And sure, there are lots of 16th note turns in the aforementioned leaps, but really, your ear knows what to expect. For example, in this little cadence, Massenet has set up an upward chromatic progression. Stylistically, he has also included a rollentondo, a slowing of the music. Once the violin gets to this E-sharp, we know right where it's headed on the next downbeat. Let's all take a moment to sing it. And here's what you should have been singing. But with all this familiarity, we're never allowed to know completely what's up Massonet's sleeves. Here, you might again think you know what's coming. But Massonet actually extends this phrase by two measures. We don't get to sing that final resolution for just a little while longer. Another thing that makes this meditation popular is the constant sense of moving forward, even though it's a very slow tempo. Massonet does give a piumoso, more motion, or faster tempo, and that's in the next section, but it's still quite slow. However, the upward writing makes it feel like we're constantly reaching out for something, and it really gives the music good momentum and keeps us from getting bored with it. We want to hear what's coming next. Also in this Piumoso section, the violin gets a little angrier. As it crescendos upward and incorporates more and more chromatics and diminished arpeggios, we get a sense perhaps of Chopin or Schubert's work. We then get a recap of the beginning. However, we soon find out it's not quite the same. While the violin plays the same melody as before, the piano actually completely changes the underlying harmony. It gives a subtly different feel, so we know it is more of an ending. Rather than being in the tonic key, these chords sound more like they're in the fifth, making everything sound like it needs to be resolved.
And after said resolution, we do still get a nice little coda. This coda is a little bit more experimental. We can't quite predict where Massonet is going with these notes just as easily. However, he still delivers on his promise of a sweet and mild ending, perfectly fit for this placid meditation. Though this is one of the more pops type of pieces we've looked at on the coffee house, we hope you can now have a deeper listening experience the next time you might hear this piece in the background of your everyday life. And thank you very much for tuning into this episode. Please be sure to like and follow us on Spotify if you're listening to us there, or leave a review for us on iTunes or Google Play, and in any case, share our podcast with a similarly interested friend. For the Coffee House Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. The meditation from Tyus was performed by Nicola Benedetti and Julian Quinton. You can find The Coffee House on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.